So they used to be so happy. How did it come to this? There they sat on opposite sides of the conference table, lawyers beside them, between them, the kind of cliche that they used to joke about when they saw it on TV. Neither of them could figure out how it came to end like this. Sure, they had arguments from time to time, like married couples do, but it was never anything serious. It just seemed like they sort of drifted apart over the years. They thought their kids should be able to handle the split now that they were both teenagers. It's not like they wouldn't get to see both mom and dad on a regular basis. After all, they wanted what was best for everybody involved. That's why they were sitting at the conference table, right? They didn't hate each other. They just didn't feel that they loved each other anymore. Ever been at a wedding and wondered um, how long the marriage may last? Well, you're not alone. Divorce is a real problem in our culture today. And it's one that you and I come across uh, in our own lives and in our own circles of uh, family and friends and coworkers. Odds are you know somebody who has experienced a divorce in their own lives, maybe as a spouse, child, maybe you went through it yourself. It is pretty much an accepted fact of life in these United States, and it doesn't seem as scandalous as it did some generations ago. In today's culture, divorce is just one of those common milestones in life. It's not something people seek or desire, but it's there. So the general mindset on marriage maintains it's about two people loving each other for as long as the love lasts. And should it fail, then why not get a divorce so you can move on in each of your lives? So as we look at these words of Jesus in the gospel lesson for today, uh, we understand even among the body of Christ as Christians, divorce is permissible on specific grounds. And the clearest of these, which Jesus notes in Matthew's account of today's gospel reading, is adultery. So back in the first century, everybody was in agreement on that point. And in that situation, one spouse had abandoned the union that God had established between husband and wife and polluted it with sexual immorality. But even in those cases where divorce might be permitted, it isn't necessarily the best thing. But by nature, you see divorce divides and tears apart and destroys. In any circumstance, divorce is like slicing a body in two. It takes the two people God has joined together and tears them apart. How do you ever really recover from that? My own father was divorced from his first wife back in the early 1950s when it was not so commonplace. And he came from an Irish Catholic background. A lot of stigma associated with that. I have two sisters. They're both divorced too. And the pain 
lasts. It still does. Truth is, my dad never even told us that he was divorced. After all those years, I think he still bore a great deal of pain and heartache about what had happened between him and his first wife. How do you recover from that? We move on, sure, but do we really recover? Beyond the separation of husband and wife, divorce does leave a permanent mark on children who are themselves evidence of the parents' union, regardless of how young or old they may be. And so like a stone dropped into a pond, the consequence of a divorce ripples out to friends and family, a reminder of how significant marriage is in that shared community. The problem behind the problem of divorce is, simply put, sin. And sin is the evidence of the brokenness of the world in which we live. Jesus talks about the hardness of heart that leads people to, to want to divorce. It's at work in each of us, too saying, looking out for number one, putting myself first. And so sin gets into the depths of our being and it wants to master situations and people around us telling us that our own happiness should be our chief goal. So sin is present in our relationships including the best of marriages, as a consequence of the brokenness of our relationship with God. So how do we deal with it? When we've got sin in our own hearts, what hope can there be for marriage? So in today's gospel lesson, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, come to Jesus with a question. It, it's a trick question. They're trying to trap him in his own words. It's a setup because they want to eliminate Jesus from center stage. But they also have been maybe looking for him to settle an actual dispute. So different parties from within the Pharisees disagreed on acceptable grounds for divorce. Some said adultery was the only allowable circumstance. Others said the husband could divorce his wife for really almost any reason including something as trivial as burning the dinner. Wow. Whatever their background, though, the Pharisees were hoping Jesus would speak against Moses and the law. They're hoping that Jesus would make some kind of pronouncement on divorce that would get him in trouble. And now Herod had imprisoned and later beheaded John the baptizer precisely because John had spoken out about Herod's new wife from her previous husband. So the Pharisees figured uh, that they could do that to John. Maybe they could do it to Jesus as well. So if you look at Jesus' response to the Pharisees, he sidesteps the trap. He doesn't get into what they want to hear about, but he does get to the heart of the matter, calling them to answer as to what Moses had permitted. Jesus addresses the problem 
behind the problem of divorce and sin and its opposition to God's gift of marriage. Hardness of heart was the problem behind the problem for the Pharisees and for us today as well. From seeing and living marriages God intended it to be. So as Jesus lays it all out here, marriage is not just a human relationship as our culture sees it. Marriage is a new status given by God to husband and wife whom he joins together in this one flesh union. It's not about two people wanting to be happy, although we certainly view that and want that. Marriage is not founded just on feelings, as influential as emotions can be. It's not something to be entered into lightly or dismissed lightly either. God designed marriage to be this lifelong bond between husband and wife, calling them to serve each other, their family and their community. So marriage establishes a new family, even before children come into the picture, should they come into the picture. Jesus notes that God spoke way back in Genesis about creating man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. And it was very good, we're told, at the end of the creation account. That's God's design. It was not just good, but very good. And yet, in spite of what God created it to be, we fall short with what we see in our own lives. So what happens after divorce then? Uh, how can somebody marry again? Recognizing the problem of divorce is the first step. It is sin. It goes against God's design for marriage, but as the case with every other sin, we can repent and return to the Lord, turning to God, asking for his forgiveness through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And that repentance is necessary, especially when making a new beginning. Remarriage is still marriage even if it began in adultery. By God's grace, couples who remarry after a divorce will recognize God's design for marriage in their new union, seeking to avoid the mistakes and hard-heartedness of the past, looking to live as God intended them to live as husband and wife. So reinforcing the value of marriage and family that Jesus made with the Pharisees, later with his disciples, Mark's gospel account moves immediately to another incident where the disciples are sort of acting like bouncers, right? They're keeping the kids from coming to Jesus. And he didn't like it. It said he was indignant. It's the disciples who end up disturbing Jesus. And this gives us insight into the mind of God and what he desires 
from us. Jesus rebuked them, encouraging the children to come to him to receive his blessing, showing the blessings of the kingdom that are freely given even to little children. And that's why we bring them to baptism. That's why we bring them to worship and to Sunday school. That's why we pray with our children at home. That's why we want to bring them into that living relationship with the Lord because Jesus wants the children to come to him. So if you have kids, children, where are they right now? And some are here, we saw in the children's message. And are they somewhere, whether they're young or whether they're old, experiencing God's love and his blessing in Christ? As we regularly say here at St. John's, the home is the primary place for faith formation. Yeah. And we are here as the local congregation to support you in your role as, as parents and godparents as your children look to you to see how you live out your faith as a family. And should your children be grown and and no longer engaged with the local church, don't lose hope. I will tell you this, for every time that a young person enters in through these church doors that I've never met before, I know it is because grandma and grandpa and mom and dad have been frequently and fervently praying that their son or daughter return to the Lord. Do not underestimate the power of those prayers. Keep them coming. Continue to show them God's love, even if they aren't engaged in worship. Continue to pray for them and love them, even as Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. There is comfort in knowing that even as we have been marked with the cross of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, that same baptismal covenant and belonging is still there with our sons and daughters. So hear this good news for all families, no matter what the makeup may look like, for all relationships, Jesus brings healing and he brings hope. He delivers the healing marriages need as they suffer from our hard-heartedness and sin. He gives strength to admit our failings to our spouses, our children, our friends. He delivers the forgiveness that we need as we fall short in our relationships. And in his word, he gives direction for us to live according to God's design and to point the little children to the blessings of that kingdom. All of life. This is our, our theme for our fall stewardship series. All of life includes our relationships. It includes our families. It includes our loved ones. It also includes those fractured and broken relationships that we long to have restored and healed. So how much time and energy we are called to give 
to our relationships, to our families, to our marriages. Doesn't it make sense if we look at all of life to be part of our total stewardship and managing God's gifts, that this is a significant part of it? Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, all the other stuff doesn't really matter, but the relationships do. And so we work on those, confident that God will work through us with his grace and mercy. With Christ at the center of our life together, all of life, our relationships, our marriages, our families, we're called to communicate with one another as a forgiven people. With Christ as the foundation of our relationships, not only happiness, but beyond that, we can live in real love, love that is self-giving and sacrificial, even as God loved us and gave his son for us. With Christ before us, between us, above us, beneath us, before us, beside us, all of life can begin to look like what God designed it to be. May God make it so in our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.